Good morning again, everybody. We spent a lot of time this morning, right, talking about being at peace. So let's talk about something else entirely. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. No, it's not a typo. It's the entire chapter. It's not that long. It's, I mean, it's longer than some chapters, but it's not horrible. Uh, as I was, you know, I, this week I was like, I don't want to start something because I'm not going to be here next week, so maybe I do want to start something and just leave you guys with Jason to answer all the questions. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't want to start a whole series um, and stuff like that. I, I said, so what am I going to do? So Tuesday I'm sitting in the office and I, uh, I had to get the scripture passage for the opening scripture passage anyway. And one of the verses in this was their verse of the day. And I read it and I went, oh, well, that's a, that's a good verse, I guess. I went and read the whole chapter, and I went, all right, well, that's not it. It was it. I just didn't, didn't think it was at first. It happens a lot. Um, you know, we, we feel God telling us to do something, and we're like, <laughs> is there a better door? Or, nope, there's not. Um, so we're going to look at the whole thing of this. And the title of this, right, is Understanding and Wisdom. And so you might think to yourself, oh, this is going to be about wisdom and stuff. Not quite. Not the type of wisdom that allows you necessarily to know what to do. Today we're going to talk about the understanding and the wisdom and the mystery that is the gospel. Let's read it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And when I came to you, brethren, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. And when I came to you, brethren, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature. A wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. But we speak of God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But just as it is written, things which the eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts and spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is, who is spiritually appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Alright, let's break this down a little bit. By the way, the verse that was the verse of the day was verse 14 which we'll talk about in a little bit. Number one on your note sheets there, God over us. God over us. Let me set the scene 
for where Paul comes to Corinth. And of course, this is Paul's second letter to Corinth. We don't have the first letter. It's lost to time and history. But when he originally goes to Corinth, it is right after his, call it disastrous, if you will, trip to Athens. And that's why in verse uh, uh, 3 there, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. If you want to read what happened to him in Athens, go read the account in Acts. It's not great. It's one of his few, if you want to call them failures on his missionary journey. There's no church started in Athens. He kind of gets run out of town. It was par for the course, except no church gets started there, which is probably the part that hurt him the most. And that's where he goes to Corinth. Then he says, listen, when I came to Corinth... I was in fear and trembling. Not only did I not use persuasive words, I didn't have them to use. You see, the the whole first half of this scripture passage is about one thing and one thing alone. God over man. I want you to take a moment. Think about your favorite preacher. If it's anybody other than me, I don't want to know. Think about your favorite preacher, right? Maybe it's a a, a Jeremiah. Maybe it was somebody like a Ravi Zacharias. Maybe it's a Billy Graham. You know, whoever, right? Maybe it's somebody from your, when you were a kid, right? It doesn't have to be a famous preacher. Think of your favorite preacher. I would all but guarantee you that all of them were pretty good at speaking. They were at least decent orators, Am I right? Does anybody here have one? You're like, yeah, my favorite preacher really stunk at preaching. Does anybody have that? No, I didn't think so. This passage of scripture does not mean that it is wrong for people that God has gifted with speaking to speak. He's obviously gifted Paul with it and also an incredibly sharp mind that he uses. What is wrong and what Paul is pointing to is I don't want... He was saying, I don't want you in Corinth. I am saying, I don't want you in New Milford, whether you're listening to me or somebody else, to listen to me, to find your faith, to find your basis on the words that I say. He wanted you and I want you to find your basis, your faith, your grounding on the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. Now, there's one major difference between Paul 2,000 years ago and us today? Well, uh, not multiple choice. Short answer. It's one word. Does anybody know what that major difference is? I'll give you a hint. Most of you have one in your hands right now. The Bible. When Paul was preaching, he didn't have this. He had the Old Testament But we know he didn't have this because some of our Bible are his letters, including the one we're talking about this morning. So when he went into a place, now I have to refine my my spot. When he went into a place, he walked in saying, I am going to show the power of God. Or more aptly, I am going to allow the power of God to be shown. It says he worked in signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit. What does that mean? Read throughout Acts. What's all through there? Healings all throughout Acts. Spirits being driven out of people. 
Things that could not be explained in the natural world litter the whole of Acts, the whole of the early church. Times have changed slightly. In today's world, we have the completed canon of Scripture. Everything that God wants us to know while we are here on earth is in this book. He doesn't speak as often. I won't say he doesn't ever speak, but he rarely, I will say, speaks in the audible voice, you know, like the prophets would hear and stuff like that. He doesn't need to. He, he, had it, he wrote it all down. There's no mishearing him. So let's put it in today's world. If I was going to rewrite it, I don't want to convince you guys with persuasive speech. I, I've talked to Maddie about this many times. I could very easily be what is called a toxic person, meaning I could get you guys to feel guilty enough to do whatever I wanted you to do, with few exceptions. I know I can. I've done it before in my life. I'm good at it. But I don't want you guys to believe what I believe strictly because I say it or strictly because I can come up with good words, or strictly because I know how to elicit emotion in you, to make you laugh sometimes, maybe to make you shed a tear, maybe to, you know, to make you feel things. I want you to believe what is right, because it's what's written in this book. And that is what Paul wanted. And that is what Paul is saying here to this church. Remember the church in Corinth has a massive issue. One of the reasons he wrote this letter is because they couldn't decide who to follow. Should we follow Paul? Should we follow this guy or that guy? Who's, the, who's saying the right stuff? And Paul is saying, don't, don't follow any of us. Follow God. Church, your favorite and best speaker ever has said, and if they are still teaching, will say wrong things happened two or three times in the few years that I've already been here. I've had to get up here and go, I misunderstood something. Or let me make this a little more clear because the way I said it wasn't exactly right. Right? It's happened. It will happen again. You know who's never wrong? God. And so Paul is saying, listen, don't let your faith rest on my words because my words will fail you. Don't let your faith rest on me. It will fail you. I think of, and this is a horrible thing, I think of somebody like a Ravi Zacharias who preached to probably millions of people throughout his life, just dove into the word of God. And post his life, what have we found out? He had some major, major issues with lust and with um, unmarital sexual affairs. And if you rested your entire basis of faith on what he said, you'd fall apart. You'd have to. I'm not trying to defend Ravi Zacharias. I'm not trying to defend anybody here. What I'm saying is, don't let your faith rest on the words of a human. I don't care how much they've studied. I don't care how many times they've been to the Holy Land to learn. I don't care how many PhDs or whatever, the doctorates they might have in divination and, uh, not divination, um, that's not, don't, don't listen to anybody that's got a doctorate in divination, that's not good. Um, whew, thank you, divinity. A doctrine in divination would mean that they're like, you know, tarot card readers and stuff like that. Don't, don't go to them. Um, whew, 
there it was, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't care how much study they've done, they will let you down, whether in their actions or in their words. So let your faith rest not on my words or David Jeremiah's or Ravi Zacharias or Billy Graham's or whoever, right? Let your faith rest on the words of God. He wrote them all down. Now, yes, we work together to try to, to try to discern certain things in Scripture and stuff like that, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. And because of that, there will be some things we disagree on and such. That's fine. But always back everything up with this book. Take every, I was talking to somebody just earlier this week, and I said the first thing you do whenever you have a question about something, the first thing you do is not to go ask somebody you trust. Take it here. If it doesn't align with what Scripture says, throw it out. I don't care what it is, throw it out. If it does align, then it doesn't mean you're necessarily supposed to do it. There's more steps after that that one day we can talk about if you want to. But your first step and your most important one is, does it align with this book? It's one of the reasons that I constantly try to remind you, don't just accept what I say on Sunday morning or at Wednesday night prayer meeting or Monday night Bible study or whatever in a private conversation. Take it back to this. Do your own and take it back to that because I'm not infallible. This is. God is more important than us. And our job, not just mine, our job is to show the wisdom of God. But here's the problem. We can't reveal and show the wisdom of God if we don't know it ourselves, right? Number two on your note sheets, the revealing of the Spirit. The revealing of the Spirit. Verse 14 says, but a natural man, let me change that word. An unsaved person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, her, them, whatever. They're foolishness. The fact of the matter is that an unsaved person stands no chance of understanding this book. They don't. It's why the world looks at everything we say and do as foolishness. They look at communion as foolishness. Why would you take up bread and grape juice or wine and a wafer, whatever, to remember this dead guy? Even if you, whatever, fine. It's foolishness to us, but whatever. You worship, you know, anybody, ask anybody who doesn't, who isn't a Christian. They look at Christianity as foolishness. Even if they believe another religion, and before you'd be like, well, we're not. You do the same thing to every other religion. We look at Islam and Buddhism and everything else as foolishness. Now I am going to stand up here and say I'm pretty sure we've got the truth. Not pretty sure. I'm 100% certain we've got the truth. It's why I say all the time, never expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. They don't understand they don't have the power to do it, and they don't understand. Don't get upset when an unbeliever votes for something that you think is, 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 is wrong. Don't get upset when an unbeliever does and acts in a way that you're like, well, that's unchristian. Yes, it is. You're right. They're not a Christian. Why should they act like one? That's why I tell people, don't get upset when the world is evil. It's not Christian. It's going to be evil. 
Paul talks about in the beginning of this second half. I don't talk to mature people about this. They don't need it. I talk to immature people about this. Now, this can mean two things. First off, mature people, we know for a fact, mature people are people that are saved. There are, I had a professor who broke it down like this, and I've used it since because I like it. Four distinctions of people in the world when it comes to Christianity. The unbeliever, which is most people. Then you have the carnal believer, who is a person who has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, but they don't really act like it. They could be a new Christian. They could be a Christian who's been a Christian for a long time and just really don't kind of care. Whatever. They don't act like a believer. Then you have a spiritual person. This is the person who is a Christian, who acts like a Christian, and who is diligently studying the Word of God, right? Do, it's using the spiritual tools in the tool belt. Prayer, Bible study, uh, uh, Sunday morning worship, all that kind of stuff, right? We look at them and go, all right, they're spiritual. They, don't, they still make mistakes. All four of these categories make mistakes in life, okay? But you look at them and you go, all right, yeah. The final category is spiritual leader. They are the spiritual person that now has graduated to a point where they can lead other people. Your pastors are hopefully spiritual leaders. Your Bible study leaders are hopefully spiritual leaders. That is the goal that God has for all of us here on this plane of existence, that we can all get to that point. Now here's the thing. If you're a believer... You're going to flip between those three throughout your entire life. Some days you're going to be carnal. Some days you're just going to be spiritual. Some days, yeah, I could lead somebody else. Paul is talking not to spiritual leaders and not to spiritual people. He says, immature, I'm talking to either the believer who is not acting like one or an unbeliever. And I have to reveal this, this secret to them, this mystery, and I can only do it because the Spirit does. We read that nobody knows the thoughts of man except for a man, except for the Spirit. I can't know where you guys are at spiritually. I do my best. I make judgment calls. That's right. I judge each and every one of you every time I see you. I hope you're judging me as well. Because if I don't make a judgment call on where you are, then I can't know what God wants me to do. If I don't make a judgment call and say, man, today, Ron's struggling today. Maybe not with a sin, but I'm not saying you are. I'm using you as an example. Man, Ron's just down today. He needs a spiritual leader to lift him up today. Or you know what? Louis spiritually high today, and he needs a spiritual leader to come along beside him and just worship and praise with him. We're going to worship and praise together today in just joyousness. Or Aunt Lori back there, man, she's really struggling with a sin today. Somebody's got to call her out on it. Might as well be me. But the fact of the matter is we need to make those judgment calls, and it's the Spirit that allows us to do it. I hearken back to in Acts when Peter and, uh, uh, and John, right, are going up to the temple and it's the whole get up and walk story. They didn't just randomly do it. They were in the spirit of God and the spirit said, I want you to do this. And they did it. 
You and I cannot know this book. We cannot help each other out. We cannot do anything without the Spirit of God in us revealing those things to us. So how do we get there then? If it's the Spirit of God that reveals this stuff, do we just sit there in the morning with our Bible open and go, reveal it to me. I can do it. Reveal it. Maybe you sleep with it under your, under your pillow. Try to get that osmosis going in, right? What's the correct term? It's not osmosis because that's water. Either way. Osmosis is water transferring your tr whatever between cells. Sorry, but mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell. That's the other thing I remember from school. Um, <laughs> my brain went somewhere else. The fact of the matter is the spirit reveals, but there's some work that you need to do as well. So how do you get the Spirit to reveal things to you? First off, you got to be a Christian. That is the first and greatest mystery the Spirit reveals to you. It's, how you. it's why you can talk to somebody for months, years, and they just don't become a Christian. And then one day it just hits them. That hurt more than I thought it would. That hit hard. Um, because the Spirit reveals it to them. So if you're a Christian, and let's work on the basis that every one of us are, let's make that assumption, if you are or not, it's between you and God. The rest of the work comes in, do you read it? Do you ask God to reveal things to you as you're reading it? Do you work with others? Do you have a group of people around you that you can talk about things with to help reveal those things? The Bible never says more than it says, but it says more than you see. And at times in your life, the Spirit reveals things in Scripture that He wasn't going to reveal 10 years ago because you weren't ready for it yet or you weren't in a time in your life where you needed it yet. Do you spend time with Him? That is the number one thing you can do to have the Spirit reveal things to you. Do you spend time with Him? If I want to gain wisdom from one of you, right? If I want to gain wisdom from my dad, do I move to California and never talk to him again and then on his deathbed go, why didn't you give me any wisdom? No. That'd be foolish of me. You spend time with him. You ask questions. You tell stories and get their responses to your idiocracies. Idiocy. We're having a great time with the English language this morning. If I wasn't your favorite preacher before, I'm really not now. Um, do you spend time with him and ask him questions? And when he directs you to places in scripture, do you accept them or do you go, nah, I don't like that spot? Do you, when you ask him to reveal somebody to you that you need to go make peace with, do you go, no, that's not it? Because here's the truth, and we're just about done this morning. Don't worry, I warned Children's Church we were going to go late today. You can become numb to the Spirit of God. You can be a Christian and be numb to the Spirit's promptings. You tell him no long enough, he stops saying things. We talk about this when it comes to sin, right? You do a sin long enough and you kind of become numb to the, to the guilt and to the conviction of it. The same thing happens when we just don't like what the Spirit's revealing to us in this book. So we either stop reading it or we stop listening and we try to figure out what we think it should say. 
we're always going to bring our own presuppositions, our own ideas to Scripture. It's the way that it works. We have our own baggage, our own pasts. And you can allow those things to override the voice of God. Jesus talks, the Spirit talks, God the Father talks in a still, small voice. He wasn't in the fire, he wasn't in the rain, he wasn't in the wind, he was in the gentle breeze. Sometimes he hits us pretty hard, and then he talks in a still, small voice. But it is always a still, small voice. And you can override it. You can scream loud enough. Trust me, as somebody who hates silence, I can override the voice of God fairly easily. I just keep doing things. You don't even have to be loud. Just never allow your brain to stop. And you won't hear him anymore. Some of you might be going, wow, that sounds good. It's not, trust me. You find yourself in the loneliest, emptiest place you'll ever be. He's still there because he promises he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but you don't hear him now. But here's the great thing and our last thing. You can drown out that voice, but all you have to do to hear it again is turn down the volume. It didn't go anywhere. Just turn down the volume, and it's still there. You want to have the, the intricacies of Scripture revealed to you. It's not about the amount of books you read or the amount of sermons you listen to. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. What I am saying is that no human could give you insight into Scripture. It's the, it's the Spirit of God that does. I challenge you this morning. If you find your faith is going to be tested, so don't misunderstand me here. Your faith's going to be tested throughout your whole life. One of the big things that I've noticed a lot in uh, social media and stuff right now is I'm deconstructing my faith. And I saw a thing the other day, and it hit home really hard here. You can't deconstruct a faith that Christ built. So if you can deconstruct your faith, Christ didn't build it. So I want to challenge you this morning. Where are the places that you allowed humans to build your faith? Whether it was you, whether it was your parents, whether it was your pastor, whether it was your favorite preacher on TV, on the radio, whether it was music, whether it was a ton of books, I don't care what it was. Where have you allowed other people or yourself to build your faith? And not allowed Christ to do it. And yeah, deconstruct those parts. And allow Christ to fill in the gaps. Because if you allow anything else to fill in those gaps, guess what? It's just as bad as the other stuff was. Maybe worse. It's not wrong to want to deconstruct a little bit. But make sure the materials you're putting back in are the right ones. And done by the right person. Contract it out. Let Christ build it. Let him be the one that reveals things. Not me, not your favorite preacher, not your parents. It's not wrong to ask questions. But always take it back to God first. Would you pray with me? Father, we praise you this morning. I thank you that you sent your spirit to make the, the, the foolish things wisdom to us.
to reveal things to us that we couldn't have ever understood before, even the simplest of things. But the fact of the matter is that a God, the God of the universe, dying, becoming human, dying and rising again so that people who turned their back on him could be his again, that's foolishness. But you did it and you reveal it to us. Father, I want to ask you this morning that you would continue to reveal to us things in Scripture, that we would spend time with you, ask your opinion, ask not just your opinion, ask your, for your wisdom and for your advice. Your word tells us in James, you do not withhold wisdom when we ask. And I pray that we would continue to ask, Father. Give us all a blessed week. In the name of your Son, we pray, amen and amen.